CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. doing another Instapod today. We did. Uh, we already did our regularly scheduled episode today. This is uh, Wednesday, um, August the 16th. We did one yesterday uh, about the uh, charges in Georgia, but we've, ne- we've now had another very significant uh, legal decision, and it has to do with the drug Mifepristone. Now, as you know, look, just to catch ourselves up, um, a few months back, there was this kind of uh, sure thing judge down in Texas who conservatives go to because if you if you bring a case in that particular court, you are automatically going to get this guy and he will basically green light any new Republican legal theory. And what he uh, what this was about was taking this uh, abortion drug that has been legal in the United States for more than 20 years um, under some somewhat restricted uh, use access, but legal for 20 years. And he was basically saying, well, what the FDA decided, that doesn't, that's no good. It's, it's, uh, we are overruling that. So today, the Fifth Circuit, which is the appellate district um, that covers Texas, came out with a decision. They rejected the most outlandish part of the decision, but left some key parts of it in place. Now, Kate, in addition to being our co-host here, has been on this case and this issue for uh, for years now. Um, so, Kate, tell us, get, walk us through what the Fifth Circuit rejected and what they left in place. So, this panel of judges on the Fifth Circuit they did not agree with Cox Merrick on the kind of most headline grabbing part of his opinion, which was to overturn the original FDA approval of Mifepristone. And this happened in 2000. And there's a statute of limitations to challenge agency actions, which is six years. And the way that the group of anti-abortion doctors try to get around this is that periodically the FDA has lifted restrictions from mifepristone, whether that be, you know, saying you don't need to get it in person, you can get it through the mail or um, expanding the gestational window that it's good to be used during. Um, Because there's like a really long and kind of political history of the restrictions around mifepristone, which all centers on the fact that major medical organizations have long said that this drug is treated in this very limited class of super dangerous drugs, you know, that have uh, addictive 
properties or other kind of really drastic side effects and that mifepristone has never belonged among them and is only put there because of this anti-abortion tactic of saying this drug is dangerous, it sends women to the emergency room, which is not really true. Um, But in keeping with that, in recent history, FDA has continued to kind of lift restrictions on it. So this panel says you can't challenge the initial approval. That's That's over 20 years ago. Good try, but you can't do that. But they upheld the other challenges to the various lifting of restrictions that have happened since 2016. Um, The biggest one of those include the, you know, that you can get it over the mail and that you don't have to be in person to be prescribed it, which basically, you know, opens up the world of telemedicine to mifepristone. Now, the key asterisk on all of this is that the Supreme Court issued a stay that none of these decisions affect the real world at all until the Supreme Court either issues its own decision or decides not to take up this case when it's inevitably appealed from the Fifth Circuit. But thing is, hard to feel super confident about the Supreme Court for for obvious reasons. And if we go back to the 2016 regime, you know, you'll hear a lot of people kind of say like, well, they didn't, you know, they didn't get rid of it altogether. They didn't take it off the market, which is like, I Yes, sure. But obviously, access to mifepristone is more important now than ever, and especially through the mail, because in all now we have these abortion deserts all over the country. And because of the kind of loosening of restrictions around mifepristone, now people in those states through various kind of like sneaky ways are able to get the pills mailed from blue states. And before that was possible, the you could get mail, you could get drugs mailed, but they always kind of came from different countries, which, you know, has its own host of concerns, including, you know, even assuming that the drug is kind of like safe and is what it says it is, that that's a long time, you know, getting drugs mailed to you internationally is going to take a long time. And when we're talking about using mifepristone, it's a limited window, right? The earlier you take it, the better. Um, So, you know, this case has just got really, really high uh, or far-reaching ramifications. And one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about it is because it's such a stereotypical example of this right-wing pipeline that you and I, Josh, have been talking about episode after episode because it's so important and it's only like slowly starting to kind of seep into like mainstream conversation. But this was yet another case that was shocked by these anti-abortion doctors who Not even to get into all the standing issues, but the FDA kind of continually raised doubt that any of these people had suffered actual injury. You know, they kept kind of saying like, well, you know, if if women uh, suffer adverse side effects from mifepristone and go to the emergency room, I might be the doctor on call and I might have to treat them like it's kind of ridiculous downstream stuff. Um, So they brought it. They shopped it to Cass Barrett because in Amarillo, 100% sure you're going to get him. He gave them everything they wanted, sent it up to the Fifth Circuit where they get this like classically Fifth Circuit-esque panel of very right-wing judges, which again, now just leaves the Supreme Court as like the salvation for the abortion rights side, which I don't think is a reality anyone's very comfortable with. So let me ask you, okay, so so what the Fifth Circuit did here, and as you say, um, the Fifth Circuit is pretty conservative, even compared to the U.S. Supreme Court, just to give people a sense of what we're talking about. Um, and it's that's not terribly surprising. It, it covers fairly red parts of the country, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this is an appellate decision. So the Fifth Circuit wouldn't have been uh, a, making an original review of the facts to the extent that that the local judge in, 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 um, in Amarillo did. So 
if I'm understanding this, there are a series of decisions he made and they ruled out the big one, which is this drug, we're just kind of overruling that decision that was made 23 years ago. But these other ones, we are we are leaving in place. So can you can you help us understand both in the original case where the where the the facts were tried, and now with the decision that the Fifth Circuit just gave, what what's the basis of of this court saying? Okay, you you can say you, it is. It, it passes muster to say, okay, you got to go back to seeing a doctor in person. You can't get it mailed. You can't do it telehealth. What was the reasoning they gave? I mean, much of it is premised on this kind of longstanding anti-abortion uh, movement storytelling about how mifepristone is really dangerous. And like the whole filing is kind of treating it like, you know, this is a drug with really intense side effects and it needs to be really, really carefully monitored. And it does what the anti-abortion movement does with a lot of this kind of thing, which is it's all in the name of women's health, right? It's all about, you know, the FDA uh, was not scrupulous enough in, you know, testing these changes. Like in 2016, it did a whole kind of bunch of changes at once, the, you know, the gestational window. um, But they instituted a lot of kind of minor changes together. And then the court said, well, you never did clinical trials testing every change on top of each other. And the FDA is like, well, you don't have to do that. And we tested everything, you know, kind of separately and some of them together and kind of decided that it was safe. Um, But, you know, we're getting increasingly into this world where agencies are regarded with hostility by these right wing courts and kind of expert opinion. I mean, it's it's this strain of like the the anti intellectual movement of the right, but in this new form where they're like, don't tell us that, you know, you're the experts and that we're just dumb and we have to take you at face value, you know. And it's funny because James Ho, who's uh, kind of an infamous Trump appointee who was on this panel and actually dissented in part because he also would have taken away that original approval from 2000. He goes into this long section where he berates the the FDA and this um, mifepristone manufacturer for being like too mean to cast Merrick because they refer to him as like a non-expert district judge and, you know, someone who doesn't have the kind of technical, scientific, medical expertise of the FDA. And then he goes on to list paragraph after paragraph of errors in the FDA's history regarding like completely unrelated drugs. At one point, he says, you know, some people blame the FDA for worsening the opioid epidemic. Like that's an actual line in the ruling, which, you know, take that fight somewhere else. But it's, you know, it's clearly got nothing to do with this. And it's just it is part of this movement of saying, you know, agencies are just not to be trusted. And the whole the old school kind of thinking of like, well, maybe the people who work there have more expertise than courts like that is we are out of that era. We are into the you know anti-administrative state world. You know, one thing that one thing that is notable about the, the general it comes under Chevron. There's all the, the all sorts of case law about this general argument about deference to administrative agencies. And just for our listeners, the general idea in recent decades has been that as long as it is sort of a rational decision on its face, not just like something totally insane that you say like, all right, clearly something terrible happened here. We got to jump in. As long as it just, again, rational on its face, you assume they knew what they were doing. Now, in some cases, in the one of the places this this question comes into effect is with the EPA, for instance. Um, the EPA at a certain point got into saying, well, maybe climate 
um, you know, climate emissions are under our remit. Now, we didn't, when, when the initial um, EPA legislation was put into effect about 50 years ago, climate in that sense, you know, climate change, uh, you know, greenhouse gases, et cetera, uh, wasn't developed science. Um, the people who passed the legislation uh, weren't thinking about that, but, but they did kind of write into the law, we're going to leave it to the EPA to decide what is important to the environment. Now, in that case, though, the opponents say, look, <laughs> this is like a big, big, dramatically different thing. Um, it's not okay for Congress to sort of just kind of give you guys total freedom to just decide whatever. If we're going to now regulate greenhouse gases, Congress should say, okay, now the EPA is going to regulate greenhouse gases. That's not really the... the this court has not had much leg to stand on from the from looking at the legislation because, in fact, for better or worse, Congress was pretty clear. It's up to you guys, right? Okay, but you can sort of there is an argument there. There's a, there is a kind of a policy argument there that something so big should there should be a new law. What's different here, though, is no one thinks that Congress is going to pass a law. Every time there's like a new like cholesterol drug, you know, that that's absurd. That's totally absurd. And it's also absurd. The idea that courts are going to going to be deciding, well, you know, how often is there a hem, you know, kind of a, you know, abortion related hemorrhage using this drug? Courts have no idea what that that is just it's just absurd. It's absurd mm -hmm. that either you're going to have an independent law or that judges, you know, kind of whether they're, you know, it's not always the case, although in some of these circuits, you know, it's not always the case that they're middle-aged or kind of seen, you know, kind of senior citizen white men, but still they're judges. They're not, they're not scientists. So even, even if we kind of accept that there is an argument to be had about sort of administrative decisions and what is the, the scope um, that administrative agencies should really be able to change national policy in a big way, notwithstanding what Congress decided they should do. Clearly, it's absurd here. There's just no way. And as you say, the whole premise of this line of um, of this line of cases is that you know this is like taking like an emergency stroke drug or something. Like you know, there's fifty percent chance you're going to drop dead, kind of thing, which as you and many other people's many other people have made clear that's just absurd by any other applying any other metric about just safety it's a really safe drug it just, it just is there's kind of no factual question about that exactly and something that's so difficult here i think is part of the anti-abortion movement's like huge success in the past few decades is that it's a lot easier to make their arguments than it is the countervailing ones. Like it's a lot easier to just kind of lie and say like, or it's not even a lie, but to say, you know, well, some people have really extreme adverse reactions to mifepristone. I mean, it's kind of like vaccine stuff. It's like, sure, you know, it's a big world and there's a lot of people and chances are someone is going to react badly to like every drug you put out there. But then you put that into the layperson 
bloodstream and it gets people all freaked out. And then you have to kind of come up with an answer that's along the lines of what kind of abortion rights people usually say, which is, you know, there are more adverse reactions connected to taking Tylenol than to taking mifepristone. But well, if also it's- pregnancy itself. Yeah, dangerous. not to mention that yeah. child giving birth is like just, just 14 nor- times more dangerous than getting an abortion. Yeah, I mean, just a normal, you know, normal pregnancy. There's a lot of dangers that, that go with it. I mean, it's, it's but, but to the point, what we have an FDA for, I mean, if you take any medication you've ever taken, certainly like antibiotics, for instance, any antibiotic, if you look, it'll say, you know, one of the, one of the things that can happen is you could have a stroke and die. I mean, and and when they do those things, it's often kind of like they put in everything there's been a report of. But as you say, without being able to say, well, yes, one person said that happened out of like, you know, 50 million doses. And we're just kind of letting you know out of due diligence. But it's absurd, the idea that you just go on an- anecdotal anecdotal evidence. We don't do that with any kind of drug. No heart medication, no cholesterol medication, no, you, you know, hair growth medication. It's just, it's all about, this is all hung up in the anti-abortion movement. And like you say, the idea of kind of judges imposing themselves in jobs that are done by scientists. I mean, part of it is just, they're given information from these parties, right? These anti-abortion doctors who are saying like, well, I've seen X, Y, and Z kind of abortion horror show. And it, So what is the expectation there? Like, are the judges supposed to kind of run down these anecdotes and verify them? Do you like investigative journalism? Of course not. And when you have a panel like this that's already inclined to side with the anti-abortion people, it doesn't matter if they're kind of like pulling it out of thin air or, you know, saying like, well, this might have happened or this could have been the end result. You know, it's just it's kind of similar to how the conservatives on the Supreme Court love to kind of like cherry pick historical anecdotes. It's like, that's not your training. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just kind of stuffing it into the the decision to give it a sense of, um, you know, grounding and like academic research, when in reality, you're just given an opportunity and you're going to take it. Right, right. But also similar to the Supreme Court is like this Fifth Circuit panel couldn't even really keep itself all on the rails for the whole time. And uh, as I mentioned, James Ho, he writes a dissent because he would want to overturn the authorization completely, but I have to read this quote, which is he's arguing um, for the injuries of the anti-abortion doctors. And he says, unborn babies are a source of profound joy for those who view them. Expectant parents eagerly share ultrasound photos with loved ones. Friends and family cheer at the sight of an unborn child. Doctors delight in working with their unborn patients and experience an aesthetic injury when they are aborted. Well, I guess, you know, maybe they could come down with a decision that this will not be that 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 people who are having kids who are pregnant and, you know, looking forward to having a baby will not be forced to take this drug. Yeah, right. The the, 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 un, the universal mandate to take mefepristone will, will, will exactly. be overturned. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, like, it's what the fuck? Like, you know, you're. Not that he's balancing these things at all because he doesn't at all mention the injury to women who will be forced to carry pregnancies and give birth when they don't want to. But like you're balancing that against the joy that doctors have in observing an ultrasound like and you're pretending to be a serious person. Yeah, well, that it it's funny because this is a whole different and and it's this part of it is a little obscure and doesn't go to the main issue. But as you say, one of the one part of this line of cases and 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 line of decisions is sort of 
you know, finding someone who has standing, which is something for our listeners, something basic about how you get into a court, right? You, if you, if, if someone, uh, you know, decides that uh, we got to build a road and we're going to uh, build it over Kate's house, Kate can go into court and say, hey, you're building a road over my house. I got, you know, I need my day in court here. And in the nature of things, um, pres- you know, the, are, are they going to, uh, you know, it's even a, who's going to have standing here? Someone who in the future doesn't want to use mifepristone. So, they, they, you know, they kind of have to come up with as well. The doctor who might, you know, have a woman come into the emergency room with some sort of complication and like, I was going to go out and have beers with my guys. And, and now I'm having to deal with this woman with a hammer, you know, just like the standing issue. It's it, the whole thing is so it's, it's, it's just so tortured. And, and as you say, the whole thing is just about the really the underlying political issue of abortion rights. It's not really having anything to do with the dangers of a particular drug. What is, is there, do we have a sense of what the timeline is for when the Supreme Court will either just say, cool, Fifth Circuit guys, you got it covered, or we'll, we'll take it up and issue a decision, or there's just no idea? No, I assume it'll be appealed you know, maybe even as soon as today. Um, there's there's one thing I wanted to add about the standing because you made a really good point. And it's also really easy to s- tell whenever they're doing these contortions around standing. Because in this case, um, the FDA kept being like, well, we have like basically conscientious objector stuff already. Like doctors who have religious um convictions that, you know, butt up against abortion, like they don't have to give them. And then the anti-abortion doctors are like, well, we've got these other series of cases that I think we've talked about on the pod before, but it's under this thing called EMTALA. And what it means is basically if you get a woman who's dying and the way to save her life is to give her an abortion, like you have to give her an abortion no matter what. Um, And the people are like, well, what about EMTALA? Isn't the government telling us that these poor anti-abortion doctors are going to be forced to do the procedure? And then the government's like, no, that applies to a whole hospital. So just get someone else to do it. And then the judges are like, well, what if we're talking about uh, rural settings that have not a very big hospital staff? And it's like, are you are you kidding me? <laughs> like, if well, judges also- apply that kind of reasoning to everything, I mean, I, that's that's how you reverse engineer your way to a decision, right? Well, it's also, I mean, at the risk of stating the obvious, if you have someone who's dying in front of you, you should really, you, your scruples really don't matter. I mean, I'm not sure, you know, maybe, maybe you're not cut out for doctor work, you know, I mean, whole I, Hippocratic oath thing, yeah, is it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, but, but from what you're saying, it sounds like the most probable timeline is that a decision on this will come out in the heat of next year's election. Yeah, I would like think so. summer of 2024, basically. Unless um, they do some kind of, you know, uh, repeated denial of cert or something. But the court here has already said, like, we're staying this until we reach a decision. So, you know, kind of implies that they expect to be given this case. So right, I, I right. would think so. Yeah. Right. So that, that um, you know, I, it should, well, I don't want to say it should be the case, but it's good that people see like the effect of having these corrupted elements of the federal judiciary where you have um, runaway, 
you know, it's one thing, you know, kind of runaway judges, but as we've discussed before on the pod, this Kaczmarek guy wouldn't exist without the Fifth Circuit. Because people, because one one trial judge in, in one city in Texas can do whatever. But like the next, you know, the very next day, normally, if you've got an out of control judge, the, the, the um, you know, uh, the government in this case just goes Fifth Circuit the next day and say, hey, dude, this is ridiculous. Get, you know, overturn this. And it's done. So it's really about the Fifth Circuit. It's he is sort of like the cat's paw of the Fifth Circuit. It, none of this would exist without him. Yeah, but that's exactly. but that's but that is that timeline is um, a pretty key one for understanding how this is going to be another case where uh, abortion rights, especially in 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 states where um, surgical abortions are completely out, outlawed, and the only backdoor way to get a you know relatively early term abortion is to uh, do telehealth. You know, you're in Texas, you do telehealth to Massachusetts, you get it mailed to you, done and done. But just so I understand, or just and for our listeners, at the moment, what where did what status quo ante did the Supreme Court leave it in? It basically left it in the FDA's most recent decision, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So under the Supreme Court, Mifepristone is still accessible, you know, as it was before this case began, like up to our current moment. And so, and so, we, the most probable outcome here is that we will find out whether that ends. Probably sometime in you know right before the con- the political conventions um, yeah, in twenty twenty four most likely not that we know obviously various various possibilities but the most probable timeline is something like that yeah I mean and it'll be interesting in terms of the political ramifications right like a year later we're still kind of reckoning with the electoral energy that Dobbs unleashed. But, you know, for years, the various kind of state level restrictions did not engender that kind of response at all. And now we're entering territory that is like the post Dobbs big abortion case terrain, right, where nothing's going to ever meet the threshold of Dobbs. But this would obviously be a huge and damaging decision. So, you know, if the court if the Supreme Court ends up kind of siding with the anti-abortion forces here, it'll also be our first kind of data point and seeing do people get this pissed about all impingement on abortion rights? Right. And I, I mean, I guess, you know, another point we've discussed is that the, you know, the level of pissedness, for lack of a better word, <laughs> has been running at a constant. Yeah. For the last, uh, um, wait, how, it, it's a, wait, a year. Wait, when was Mar- yeah, May? Uh, June, A I year think. and a few months, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. A year and a few months. It just hasn't abated. Um, I mean, I, I will say this, what I... Th- what I, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this. I do think that it is possible that there are two conservatives on the current court who are not as a matter of like their legal convictions, but are looking at the out, at, at what's happened over the last year and thinking for kind of their own reputations to kind of uh, not create any more problems for the conservative majority. Maybe we let this one go. And specifically, I'm thinking of Roberts and Kavanaugh. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if if it is going to happen, I I mean certainly it's not going to be Thomas or Alito or Barrett. I mean Barrett was put on the court as like the silver bullet for Roe yep. to finally you know end it. Um, 
But I think it's at least possible. I mean, those are the types very, very political in the electoral sense of the word, not just in the sort of the Roberts, you know, the reputation of the court, my the reputation of my court, blah, 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 blah. But that's my, I mean, what, what's your sense of that? What, what would your, yeah, to the extent no, we can I, predict I agree these with things? You. Yeah. And, and those two, like you say, like Barrett's a, I mean, she was put on the court, like by the religious light, right, as an ambassador from the religious right. Right, right, right. Um, right. Yeah, these two are, I think, a little bit less, um, you know, quote unquote, like firmly held conviction people. And I also do wonder if like part of the political calculation from them could be like, we gave you the Christian right, the victory of a lifetime. You know, like we're not in your debt anymore. We did yeah, what we were put here greedy. to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. No, I think I think. I think that's right. And again, I I think people like, I think both of them for different reasons kind of see the kind of growing militants against the court and against the conservative majority. And it scares them a bit. Yeah. They're kind I mean, especially someone like Kavanaugh, he's like, man, what is it? I'm 52, 53. I've got a great gig for 30 years. Why do I want to to screw with that? This is the best job ever. Why, you know, why, why rock the boat? Uh, Anything else we want to, we want to add? I think we covered it. Um, Yeah. I'm just, we kind of wanted to talk about this because, you know, it's going to be one of the marquee Supreme Court cases when they take it up. Um, So, you know, it's good to kind of be tracking it on the ascent and not just parachute in when we're absolutely, like dealing absolutely. With well, you know, we we as a as, as an organization uh, dedicate a lot of time to certainly not every Supreme Court uh, case, but a lot of them and a lot of those are in your on your beat. So mm-hmm. this is, you know, something that you've been on. So keep an eye out for uh, Kate's bylines on this. And obviously, we'll be talking about it in the in the regularly scheduled episodes, too. But um, I think that's about it for now. We just wanted to update you on this story. And uh, barring other uh, big <laughs> yeah. breaking news before next Wednesday, we'll be back with you for our regular scheduled episode next Wednesday. So catch you then. Later. See you then. The Josh Marshall Podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga, and TPM founder, editor-in-chief Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song, and thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe wherever you listen. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.